Welcome to PTG TV. This is your host, Antonio Hicks, aka Escaping the Matrix. In this episode of Real Talking Conversation with today's candidate, I welcome on my guest, Ryan Cox, candidate for Georgia State House 111. Ryan Cox is a man for the people and has been serving the community since 2019 through his Gwinnett Chat outreach organization, which was built to bridge the relationship between law enforcement and the community. Since then, it has evolved into helping out the youth from across the area pursue their life after high school, annual food and water drives to give back to those in need. He's also a husband of 11 years and is a father of twins out here in the great state of Georgia in Gwinnett County. Welcome on to the show, Ryan. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So tell everybody, who is, who is Ryan? Who's the real Ryan Cox? The real Ryan Cox. Um, born and raised in Chattanooga. Um, I've moved here to Georgia back in 2007. So honestly, I'm just, I, I say a regular guy. So it's funny when I look at when we get into like the world of politics and things like that, which is a new arena for me, because um, what you may not know, I don't know if you do or not, but you know, I, I was a chef. I've been a chef for like 20 years. Um, no, prior to start, yeah, prior to start my nonprofit. Um, that's what I did. And so I, when I moved here, I moved here to go to culinary school, mm-hmm. uh, graduated. And my whole goal was to be a personal chef, like for like, you know, maybe like an NBA player, you know, some athlete or entertainer or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's the road that I thought that I was going to be going down. And then, but it seemed like things kind of took a turn three or four years ago when I started my nonprofit. But I'm, I'm the type of person, when I say a regular guy, I'm the type of guy who, um, prior to starting my nonprofit, I don't even own a suit <laughs> because most, I, I wore a uniform to work for forever. And so I'm the type of person, I'm a, I'm a jeans and t-shirt, basketball and t-shirts type of person. That's who I am. And I'm just, hey, I'm a, I'm a family guy. I'm somebody who spends more, most of my time. I have twin nine-year-olds. We spend a lot of time doing things together. So that's that's just who I am in a nutshell. So now where did you go to uh, school here for uh, culinary arts? You said where? Oh, yeah. Where? I went to La Cordon Bleu. I was going to ask that. <laughs> like what location did you get? The one off of um, in Tucker? In Tucker, yeah. Oh, man, when I tell you, I love that place. Yeah, yeah. Because I used to work over there off of North Lake Parkway. Mm-hmm. And so we would come down there when y'all have like the little, uh, what was it, the the things for the restaurants? Yeah, y'all yeah. Mimic- man, whew, I used to love it. Yeah, you can get some cheap food. Well, before yes. school closed down, the food was like almost at cost. So next to nothing, get a good like five course, five star meal for real cheap. Yeah, it, it was nice. Yeah, I, yeah, I missed that. That was a, the good old days. So, now what got you out of being a chef? Um, I always had a passion for um, serving the community. Mm-hmm. So it's something that's always been ingrained in me since I was a kid. And I started my nonprofit while I was still a chef. And when I started it, it was more of Okay, I, I kept seeing the things that was happening back, whether it be in our local community or our nationwide, where we kept seeing things that were have, happening to a lot of young black men. And 
nothing was really being done about it. And so what I wanted to do was focus on solutions. So my thing was a lot of people, uh, whether it be the police or whether it be the community as a whole, Mm -hmm. we wait till there's already a problem and then we try to go fix it. So my solution was, okay, let's get to the root of the problem and try and fix it from there. Because once there's a problem, it's too late to go back because now the tensions and everything's are really high. Right. So I said, well, let's figure out what what's causing this divide between law enforcement and our communities. And so my first few events, when I first started the nonprofit was, okay, let's get the police in one room, let's get the citizens in one room, and let's do, the first thing I ever did was a meet and greet. So I went to Snailville, we went to um, a bakery out there, and we brought the police in and we invited the community out. And so what I, the way I pitched it to the police chief at the time was, the people need to know who their police are and the police need to know who their, um, who the citizens are. So we can't all be so disconnected that we don't know who each other are because what's gonna happen, it can be dangerous on either side. And, and I say that because if you go into a neighborhood and you don't know the people that live in that neighborhood, you don't know what the temperature of that neighborhood is and how people feel about it. And it's your first time. And if you as a policeman go in there, very aggressive, very hostile, you're going to have issues and vice versa. If the people don't know who the police are and then they try to interact with the police in the same aggressive manner, you're going to have issues. So my thing was, let's get everybody on the same page. Let everybody know who each other, who, who we are. Mm-hmm. So then if the police needs to come into a neighborhood and they're going, they need to go into a situation and they know the people in that neighborhood, then they can, people in the neighborhood can vouch for that policeman or vice versa. Where they're right. like, okay, okay, well, we know who he is. This is, this is his temperament. So this is how you need to handle this. And, but you can also have people in the neighborhood that might want to calm things down too. But if you don't have that working relationship with each other, it's not going to work out. So that was the first thing I did. Another thing I started doing um, was town halls where we had the police chiefs in there and we had some um, some elected officials in the room. And we invited the public out to ask questions of the police, like questions where you can feel like you can do it in a safe environment and not feel like it's going to be hostile where you you not everybody has a great experience with the police. Sometimes if mm. you ask questions, they may not want to hear it. And I'm not saying that every police is like that, but it can be hostile situations for sometimes. How so were those? Hmm? How were those? That it was it was actually pretty good. Um uh, one of the problems though, um, I wish there were more um regular citizens that showed up. Uh-huh. And now that I'm in this world, it was a lot of people running for office that end up showing up. So oh. yeah, it was a lot of people running for office that. So that's how I started end up making my connections within the political world. It's through my organizing and doing these type of events. People started to show up to my events and they got to know me that way. So who was a police chief at the time? It was uh Roy Whitehead out of Snailville. Okay. 
I tried to do it in different cities and a lot of the other, I couldn't get anybody to do it. He was the only one. It was like, no matter yeah, what, what I, was, I asked him. That's what I was asking. <laughs> yeah, he was the only one who would do anything that we asked. Yeah, it's, yeah and it's just sad too, because like I wanted to have, it was, I was on a panel discussion. It didn't have nothing to do with me running for office or anything. It was a panel discussion about you know, violence in the community and then some re- some some ways that we can combat that. And I want to have somebody from the Hispanic community on there. And so Clara Navarro, she referred me to one of her friends who's his uh, Latino guy out of Cobb County. And his whole captain and everybody blocked that from happening. And they was just like, no. And I was like, well, you know, we're not talking about anything political. We just talking about, you know, your interaction with the community. And I was like, I just want to have, you know, different races come out and speak on the community. And, you know, some of the things they use to actually talk to one another. And his captain was like, nope, we're not doing any of that. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed a lot of that. And it's unfortunate because I think it really opens up the dialogue. Because what what I've noticed is with the police and I have a work, I have a pretty good relationship with a lot of police departments, especially with Lawrenceville Police Department. But I think one of the biggest flaws within the police department is they want to do a lot of the things only on their terms and they want to set the boundaries. And so it it shuts down real dialogue when you do that. And so when you only set the terms on your dial on your terms, people aren't going to be as willing to go and do things because I've talked to whether it be Lawrenceville police, other police departments. And they say, well, we tried to do this, these type of events, but we don't really get anybody to turn out for this. And a lot of times it's because it's like, well, you're setting it up and it's so controlled. Right. That you're not allowing people to be honest and allow them to be real. And that's why you're not getting the turnout that you expect. Right. I mean, they're not willing to work with the community to actually have some serious conversation mm-hmm. because they, they're worried about the backlash. I mean, as well as they should. Right. But I mean, you got to let people come out and vent and let and then, you know, once you hear people's frustration, then you can turn around and say what you've been doing, because it might the anger might not just be at you. The anger could be at a national level, yeah. but they don't know anything from the local level. But because, you know, they finally got a police officer in front of them to hear them and hear them out. You know, they're going to come out and they're going to voice their frustration, but that's fine. You need to let that happen. Right. So then right. you can say what you're doing. Right. Right. I agree. So uh, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, we, we just got to open up that dialogue and we got to just get everybody on the same page. And then that's that's the only way we're going to make any changes, honestly. So you did that. You got Gwinnett chat going. So mm-hmm. what have you been doing in the community with Gwinnett Chat? Like, how did it, it change over from you doing the organizing to now you're helping out the youth? Well, it goes back to my upbringing. And um, the way that I always tell the story is the inspiration comes from um, my high school years. So you ever seen the show Everybody Hates Chris? Yeah. Yeah. So I, if... If I told you that that show was a biography of my life, it's it's literally exactly my life. So everybody hated thing. Ryan. What was that everybody hated Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> so 
with that show, it reminds me of being in high school. And so growing up in Chattanooga and, and Chattanooga is a pretty um, segregated city. And so I grew up in East Chattanooga and growing up there, it, it's like a rough side of town. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. And I got bust to go to the school way out in a town called Sidey Daisy. Mm-hmm. And um, I had end up at this school, never heard of the school at first. It's in the same school system, same county school system. But I get out there and it was like, it was a culture shock to me. Just this huge culture shock. So when I got out there, I'm seeing everybody. Like I remember my first day of school seeing like the parking lot and I'm seeing like every car, every um, car in the parking lot, like the parking lot is full. Mm -hmm. And like for me, where I'm from, like if you had a car in high school, I'm like, you must be rich. Right. (laughs) That's just 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 where like the upbringing and the neighborhood and environment that I grew up like you didn't know there was very few people who had a car in high school. And so not only that, it got me when I was in this school hearing about other people's Uh, in school, hearing about their parents and their jobs. So the school that I went to was a few miles away from this nuclear power plant. So most of the the town was built around the nuclear power plant. So most of the people who went to the school, their parents worked at that um, nuclear plant or they supplied things for the plant. So it was a pretty like wealthy area up there. And I remember hearing about some of these jobs up there. I'm like, I never heard of these jobs before. I mean, my mom sold insurance. My dad worked um, in a, um, a factory that made brakes. That made brakes wow. for Ford, like anti-lock brakes. So that's what, like, and most of the people that I knew, that's just the type of work that they did. It's like, you worked in a factory, might did a restaurant or whatever. And so I got a chance to hear about all these jobs and then like being on the bus and then seeing the houses. And it's like, like I grew up, I didn't know anybody my entire time growing up. I didn't know anybody who lived in a two story house. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Cause all the houses in my neighborhood were older. It was an older, like it was an older neighborhood. So everybody is all one story houses. Like I didn't know anybody who lived in a two story house. And I remember being on the bus and seeing these houses and I'm like, man, these houses, are just huge. And it was just something that I always remember. And so it kind of gave me the inspiration of starting this nonprofit. So what we what we do with the teenagers is those jobs where I'm talking about when I was in high school, those jobs I never heard of. That's what we focus on with teenagers. So those kids who don't get a chance to hear about those jobs and learn about them, we we do like a take on career day where instead of having a speaker come out and talk to the kids about what they do, we take the kids into the workplace and they get a chance to see it firsthand. And they get a chance to talk with the people within that organization company and they get to see firsthand what it is they do, what type of education background they need, what type of experience that you need to do this. So we focus on that and we're trying to get them set up for the rest of them, for the rest of their lives. So we'll do that. We also provide them with college tours because a lot of the kids I work with, college was like an afterthought. And so what we do is we schedule tours for them to go 
see the colleges and experience it firsthand and do like our own private tour of the colleges. So another thing we do, we we um, this past summer, we had an event where we do we go out to Top Golf. We bring out a different guest speaker every week, whether it be an entrepreneur, an executive or whatever. And we have them come out, play Top Golf with us and get to they get to, that speaker gets to tell their story about their day to day life and how they got it started and what they can do to get where they need to go. But yeah, but that's kind of a general overview of what we don't. We're just trying to make um, prepare this next generation for what's going to come. Now, you talking about your background and what your mom did selling insurance and your dad was working in the plant. Mm-hmm. How did that evolve to you wanting to be a chef? Well, my grandma was a chef. And so was a my, chef. <laughs> like my she was a real chef chef. No, no, no. She was a real chef. And my, uh, I grew up. Um, my grandparents lived across the street from us. Uh-huh. And so like my whole, a lot of my family, we all lived on one block. Like literally, it might have been like 14 houses and my family stayed in half of those houses. But my grandparents lived right across the street. And so I kind of drew inspiration from her. Like my grandma was best chef I knew, best cook ever. And so I just took so much from learning from her how to cook. And my grandma, she cooked at least three or four times a week. And so she was a scratch cooker. And so she taught me a lot of the things that I knew. And so that's kind of where I I got the inspiration. Like I I spent a lot of time with my grandparents um, just sitting down and learning a lot of things from them. Yeah, I was was joking, but yeah, typically most older like Meemaw's and They were actually, they weren't chefs per se, but they could have been because like you said, they cooked everything from scratch. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like people, gosh. like my uh, my ex, she, uh, her first time meeting my family. No, I wasn't, I mean, she had met them before, but she came down, she got real cool with my cousin who my grandma helped raise and she wanted to help out with Thanksgiving dinner. Now she don't come from here from the South, she's from up North. Uh-huh. And so she came into the kitchen when well, my cousin brought into the kitchen and my grandma was like, you ain't coming in here in this kitchen just to watch. You got to learn how to how to make stuff from scratch because that's how all of us was taught. We was taught how to make yeah. stuff from scratch. And I was like, you know, I think all of our grand, well, a lot of our older, the older generation grandparents right. were chefs because they didn't do no box food, anything like that. They whipped up everything from scratch, right. from my, recipes. Yeah, my grandparents, a lot of their stuff, probably all except for the meats, they grew a lot of stuff and they had a garden in the backyard yep. and the front. And so a lot of the stuff, she would have all the grandkids out there, especially Sunday, because Sunday was always a big, a big um, meal day. So mm-hmm. we would have the whole family and my grand, you know, my grandparents has a little three bedroom, well, really about two and a half bedroom house and one bathroom. But on Sundays, there, there would be probably like 50 people at our house. But on Saturdays, we would um, have she would have all the grandkids over there. We'd be out there picking greens or tomatoes or cabbage or whatever it was that they were growing. And so that's kind of that was our Saturdays spent helping um, do that, pick greens and learn how to do a bunch of that stuff. And see, that's the thing that I talk about where we're missing now, because whether you knew it or not, your grandparents and your family was teaching about community engagement, how to, you know, come together as a people, just so we make sure everybody can sit down and eat and we all can come together as a family. 
Yeah. And that's the thing I think we're missing now through all of our communities is that none of my, nobody really talks to one another. Even my neighbors. I was the first one in my neighborhood over here and the Sony people start moving in and people just become unfriendly. People, It's like, it's weird for you to actually start to speak to people and they actually wave back. Right, right. Yeah, I'm cool with my neighbor to the right. I see him. Um, and then, but my neighbor to the left, if, if something happened to her, I couldn't even point her out. Yeah. I have no idea what she looks like. She Same here. <laughs> it's like my neighbor to the right of my house. He was the second one to come here. He and his wife the second one to come in. And we got cool, but then everybody else started coming in. And I'll speak to them. It's like they barely want to speak. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like, we all new to the neighborhood. I'm like, you know, we all need to come together because I'm like, hell, they hadn't finished it yet. But yeah, I think that's one of the big things we're missing now throughout a lot of communities. It's just that that bond that we all can come together as a people just to sit down and just break bread together. Yeah, it's so different these days. And that's one thing, uh, like when my wife asked me, like what I miss the most, that's what I miss the most. I, I miss Sundays after church, going to my grandma's house and everybody being over there or it being a holiday. And it's like, and like I said, it'd be 50 people in yep. this like, 1,200, probably 1,200 square foot house if it was that big. And you get 50 people in there, but we made it work. Right. And it was just like, that was something you look forward to every week. And that's what I miss the most about growing up is having that, that sense of family like that. Yeah, we used to do block parties in my old, when I first, my first house I bought, again, that was a new, new, brand new neighborhood. And we all came together and started having block parties just so everybody can know who their neighbors are and, and meet and greet to one another. But yeah, I'm not seeing it a lot nowadays. I mean, when they have stuff like that, but it's around a whole, like say, say Snailville had the Snailville day. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's, it's just too many people. You don't get to, you don't get to know the actual person that's right in, the, in the, the house right next to you. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. So now that you've done all that, what's gotten you to get involved in the politics? Well, I think for me, it, it's... It feels more like a natural um, transition, honestly. Um, I've kind of always been politically active, kind of behind the scenes and doing um, doing things like that. Like I've been out canvassing before. I've helped other people with their campaigns. But um, what really got me involved, uh, what made me want to run, do you wonder why I want to run or what made me get into politics both okay so what made me want to run is it's twofold one i never intended on running this was not my plans i was actually recruited to run uh two years ago and i i came real close to running and then about a week before qualifying i backed out it, it was just wasn't great timing um, so, but I've all, I kind of stayed active in the meantime, but out here in my district, I honestly, I ran out of two things, frustration because my, um, state representative is a no show. You can't find him anywhere. And once the, um, and that's like, I've written him, emailed him. I've done a lot of stuff to try and get in contact with him. You know, for various, like, I'm still like a small business owner and everything. Um, And also a citizen. So if I need something, I normally have to go to another district 
to talk to another state representative. Also, even with my congressperson who's now responsive. So I'm in the 10th district, I'm not in the 7th. And so, are you in the 10th as well? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, they're also non-responsive. So everything I, I do, I have to go over to the seventh district or for um, a con congressional level, or if it's a state representative level, I'm going over to like 105, 106 to talk to those state representatives. So it's just frustrating that you can't get a hold because he, my representative isn't doing town halls, aren't going out into the community to meet people. So that was one reason. Another reason when the race was open, I never intended on running. I was looking, I didn't even know what district I was in because I was in district 104. Uh -huh. I've been in district 104. And when they redrew the lines, I knew they kept saying with my congressional, I would go from 10 to seven. They were saying possibly. And so I didn't find out what district I was gonna be in until that week of qualifying, which was like March 7th, I think. So, I'm looking on that Monday, I'm like, okay, there's nobody in this race at all. Then Tuesday, I'm looking, there's nobody. Wednesday, there's nobody there. Thursday, there's nobody there. And I'm like, okay, nobody. I, I, there was like, there's one other person on the other side that's running. I'm like, okay, I can't let this seat go unchallenged. And I'm like, should I run? Should I run? So I I, I, I talked to my wife uh -huh. and she's like, well, hold, hold on, hold on. You didn't you didn't tell me anything about running. This was not in the plans. This is not in the plans. And so I called her. I called a couple of um, mutual people that we know uh -huh. and um, spoke to them. And everybody was like, why not? And I was like, why not me? I was like, why not? So you know, I am part of uh, District 10. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. So within uh, less than 24 hours later, so I got, I got on the phone. Um, I called a couple of people, asked them what my chances look like. And I said, well, it doesn't matter. Whatever the chances are, I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to mm -hmm. do it. So like less than 24 hours later, I was down at the um, Capitol. I started the paperwork online and then I went down to the Capitol the next day and uh, fill out the paperwork. I was like, why not me? I've never done it before, but nobody else is gonna do it. I might as well go ahead and jump in. So that that's honestly what got me and what made me do it. Now, since you've been active, like what are your feelings on, you don't have to answer this question you want to, but like what are your feelings on politics? Uh, I'm a, I consider myself somewhat of a, a, a political junkie, honestly. Okay. I, I, I mean, I do my nonprofit work but I'm one of the people who, when I'm in the car, uh -huh. all I'm listening to is different political shows. That's all I listen to. I don't listen to music in the car. I'm either listening to different political shows or I'm listening on um, things to help me become a better speaker. Mm -hmm. which I, I always need help with. So that's what I do. I mean, that's that's. Honestly, what I, I kind of live and breathe, I know a little bit about everything. So I'm, I'm not an expert on any of it, but I, I like to focus on policy rather than the politics, because so many people get caught up in the show of politics and they forget about what's the policy doing. 
Right. That's where I, I think I like to differentiate myself. So since you declared yourself and you started running, have you heard from Convent? I haven't. I haven't heard anything. Uh, I, I heard who he is. Mm-hmm. I know he was um, Mayor of Loganville. I heard that he stepped down to run. That's all I know. Oh, no. Not uh, Ray. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Definitely got my support. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh yeah, yeah. He's trying to work his... Oh, yeah, yeah. You need to beat the heck out of him. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he stepped down to run. So, I don't know if you're in my district or Shagan's. It's, it's one of us. Are you on 111 or 110? Do you know? I don't even know, to be honest with okay. you. I have to look It'll that up. One of us. It'll be one of us. I'm not sure which one yet. Because they got they got Loganville chopped up into a couple of different areas. Yeah, that's the issue I have like overall with politicians is that they they get in office and get out of touch with well, certain not all of them, out of touch with people. Right. And it's like you saying, even with you out, you know, outside of you even running for office, you, you just come to them as a small business owner. You couldn't reach out to them and they wouldn't respond back. Right. It, it's been tough. I've been trying. I've been trying for years to get in touch with my congressperson and my state representative. Now, my um, state senator, Nikki Merritt. I see her all the time. She's even, uh, I, I've held a couple of town halls and she's even been one of my speakers. Like I can get a hold of her, but it's just something about the other side of They just, they don't want to cooperate. They don't want to be out there. So I, I think mean, she's a little different because she comes from, like she comes from the same background I come from. Because mm-hmm. Nikki came from the whole Bell South environment and from the union and stuff. Okay. So to a degree, I like I would like to think because I, I can't speak for her because I don't know her personally. Personally, I just know we used to work in the same building. Okay. She, um, the union will hold her accountable because that's one thing I did respect about the union at uh, mm-hmm. at Bell South and AT and and Southern Bell because my parents are both Bell babies and I knew the president. Like we would have the my parents who was close, so close to the president of the union that he would come over for dinner and stuff sometimes, oh, and he, wow. so he ended up knowing our family. Okay, and so I knew that. Like when I got into management, first of all, they didn't like that. Well, my parents didn't mind it, but the president and everybody else didn't like it. But I was like, you know, why not have somebody to come from a union background get into management? Because at least, you know, they're taking care of the people. Right, right. And we need more of that. And I was talking to, I was out canvassing Sunday. And one of the things that I told uh, one of the, um, the people that I was talking to I said, we need more people who can run for office and people in office who can fill out a, who can fill out a financial disclosure form in 30 seconds. Like we need more regular people out there. Right. And I told him, I know it's like, I said, this might sound unpopular at first, but I told him, hear me out. I said, we need to raise the salary on state legislators. We do. We do. And he was like, no, no, no. I said, see, people have that gut reaction. I said, how much money do you think they make? And he was like, I don't know, 60, 70,000. I was like, no, they make like a little $15,000 and they get a per diem. He's like, that's it. I said, so what does that tell you? He's like, I don't know what. I was like, I said, two things. One, who can afford to take that job at 15,000 and some change? Right. I said, or two, you just get a bunch of rich people 
in there. Or you get people who can, whose job is fine with them taking like a month off to go be a legislator. I said, would your job allow you to take an entire month off to go do that? He's like, no, nah, no. Nah. He's, like, he's like, yeah, he's like, okay, okay, yeah. He said, yeah, they do need to raise it. And it's like, yeah, I'm just like, because what happens is you get the same people in there. You get the people who can afford to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars. You yep. get people who can self-fund their campaigns. And then it's like, okay, if you're, you're if, I, I look at it this way. And I look at it the same way when you send people to Congress. When you have somebody who's a multimillionaire or billionaire and they step down from doing what they're doing in their state to run for Congress and they go to Washington, the math to me, I always say the math ain't mathing. So if I'm worth 50, 60 million dollars and I'm going to stop what I'm doing to make a hundred and was one hundred and seventy four thousand yep. dollars a year. To go do that, that tells me one or two things. One, I either really care about my community that much that I'm willing to do this, or two, I know I'm going to make it up on the back end. Yep. That's what it tells me. And it's the same thing on the state level. When you have a bunch of people who have a lot of money and they can afford to take that time off and they can make $15,000 a year and it doesn't affect them. It's because they're probably making it up on the back end somewhere. And they are making it up on the back end. Right. And that's where we need to change things. And we need to get to um, another, um, oh, another, a higher pay to get people out of there like that and let regular people run. Well, and that's the thing I have a frustration with, with the party as a whole, because they'll always say, well, Especially if you come from a, a corporate job. I don't even care if you work in a blue collar job, you're still making decent money. And they say, well, why don't you run for a local seat? And it's like you just said, well, <laughs> how can I afford to? Yeah. Like really, I mean, you you make it sound like it's so simple. How can I afford to take, I'm making sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year. And now you want me to take all of my income and go towards taking care of my household. And if I have a family, just kids and stuff to now only making at the most 17,000, where is the rest of the income coming from? Right, right. And a lot of these city council people, they're making like $5,000. Right. And it's just like, how, who can, I mean, it's one thing if you're like, hey, I'm retired. I don't yeah. have anything else to do. And hey, I'm just, I'm trying to stay active. That yeah, I get. But yeah. like regular people, like our age, I'm 38 years old. I'm like, I mean, if it wasn't for me working for myself, I wouldn't be able to do it. And right. this is one of the reasons why I couldn't run last time. It's like, my job isn't gonna allow me. I mean, I was a chef, I ran a three man crew. And so I was a chef, but I was also the manager. Yeah. And so I'm like, there's no way my boss is gonna, I mean, he was up in Philly, but there's no way they're gonna allow me to take an entire month off to go uh, work out in, uh, in downtown for like a month or two months. But even if you could though, the one thing people have failed to, and this is why I get a lot of people, even some people that make that suggestion haven't worked in a regular job, mm -hmm. it would be a conflict of interest. Right. Because if your business is getting subsidies from the government, exactly, and they allow you to go in and work and actually run and win, and take a month off. They're doing it because they're thinking that you're going to have their corporations at, exactly. at your best interest. I mean, it's a conflict of interest. Exactly. Exactly. And and it is. And that's why we need to have 
we need it to be a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing where you're in, if you're in Washington, I mean, technically it's supposed to be your only job. I mean, we all know that's not the case, but that should be your full-time job. And you should be a, you should have to, in my opinion, you should have to divest. So you're not having any type of conflicts. Like you shouldn't be allowed to, like, it's nothing wrong with like mutual funds or 401k, but you shouldn't be allowed to um, have any type of individual stocks. Yeah. Because it's like, if you're making decisions on what affect that affect the company, whether it be in that state or national, and you have a heads up ahead of time, yeah, that, that's, that's not good. No. And if regular, I think if a lot of regular people knew that was going on, they wouldn't like that either. They was like, okay, if that was me, I would be going to jail for that. But because you're making, you're at the Capitol, it's okay for you to do it. I mean, it's happening local and federally too. Exactly, exactly. And they get away with so much stuff and nobody ever really puts two or two together. That's why I'm like, they need a reality TV show on politics. They they really do. And it's like, not only that, they need a, a whole guy um, on, um, like I, I'm learning a lot today of just how to run and yeah. like the things, what it takes to even do it. And it's just like, it's, it's a lot. It's like, I was up at, I've been up since like 2.45 this morning thinking about all of the stuff that I got like well, mo- along with my regular job, thinking about all of the stuff that I still need to do. Like I got to get out there and start um, really hitting uh, um, the, the canvassing real hard too. And it's just like, my mind is just going a million miles an hour because it's a lot. And like, if you could see what my day to day looks like, it's a lot. Yeah. And, it, they, I, and it's sad because, you know, we should be, the local people should be able to help out. Now I will say hey, the local the local group now. Yeah, ain't nothing really, ain't much going on with the local group now, but um they should be able to help you out with that that slack because a lot of people that's newly running for office, they might not have people that's there to actually come in and help them out. No, they don't. And um I was just um um like a lot of things I'm having to figure out on my own. Luckily I knew a couple people who've run in the past, who's helped me out. But if you are, if it's your first time running, like you, you would think there would be a lot more resources and things out there. You'd be like, oh, I'm signed up. Okay, here comes the state party and all these other people. Everybody's going to, everybody's going to come in and help me do all of this stuff. It's like, no, you, you, you better know some people. And that's yeah. what I'm finding out the most. It's like, you better know some people. Otherwise you're going to have a hard time. Yeah, because you can't go to the website. You, you cannot can't. go to the website. You can't. Because they make stuff on there so convoluted. Is it, And I'm like, is it now, if I'm working in technology and it's hard for me to figure out stuff and I'm going through there, going through a, a, a whole of just a wealth of information and you still can't even find what you're looking for, it's terrible. Now, the thing that, like you say, you, the only way you can really find out stuff, you have to be involved. Like they do have the National Democratic Training Committee. Right, right. I'm actually going down there next weekend. They have a training down in Macon that I'm going to next weekend. Right. And that's what the one I took when I first decided I wanted to run for office. I went to the training. As a matter of fact, Rebecca Mitchell. That's why I met Rebecca Mitchell at too. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I signed up for that. So I'm like, okay, I need some help. And this honestly, by chance, I ran across that. I was like, oh, okay. They got an all day training. <laughs> by chance, yes. I ran into that. And I'm like, okay, I should go do that. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, 
even if the the local party can't do it, let's say they don't have anybody set up to do the classes, they should let all candidates know. I don't care if they're going against incumbents, they should let all candidates know, hey, there is a national platform that is giving training. Because, I mean, you have that and you have the PCCC that deals with uh, progressive candidates. They oh, teach you how to run. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. See, and it's some I found out too, going along too. <laughs> so you have the PCCC, they help out progressive candidates and they give training on, they have, they have an online training class and they have an in-person training event that they do, I don't know how many times a year. And like I said, then you have the NDTC. So all those things should be available when people come into your local or call into your local office and they ask, okay, well, what does it take for me to run for office? Mm-hmm. Well, if you never ran before, you might want to look into these people over here, these groups over here, because they actually provide training classes to get you up to speed on what you need to do to be to have a successful campaign. Yeah. So all I get, I get a lot of emails, one <laughs> from a bunch of lobbyists, yep. which is like, I don't even know if that's legal or not, but they, they hit me up. I get so many emails from lobbyists that want to take me out and want to know more about the race. I'm like, no, that's not what I'm about. And then two, everybody who runs some type of campaign consultant agency, like you can get, if you got a ton of money, there's plenty of resources out there for you. Like if you come in and be like, hey, I got $100,000 to spend on this race, you can get a ton of help. But if you're trying to do it um, my way, which is more more grassroots, grassroots, yeah, good luck. It's tough. So, I mean, I I try to keep my eyes open for whatever I can uh, find. Um, I do get a lot of um, um, organizations that reach out for endorsements and everything. And some of those, I'm like, okay, I don't know who to trust. Like some of these organizations I've never heard of. So I I just, some of them, I just don't even bother with. Some of them I look into, or if I heard things from other people who've been endorsed by them, I say, okay. And they'll tell me what their experience was like working with this organization. Then I say, okay, this is something that I'll, uh, I definitely consider then. Yeah, they should have a more intuitive like website. Right. Or, you know, that people can go to and you can click on topics and have all the information there. Yeah, right. That might be a whole, I mean, it might be a good business idea or a whole podcast series. Yeah, I was, I was actually thinking, I was talking to Kadada about that. (laughs) (laughs) I really was, because we were talking, because we were talking about actually doing a series on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. What it takes. Yeah, because I learned about that stuff um, as I was running, as I was filling out the stuff. And it's just like the stuff that I didn't know, um, like I didn't know. So I had to call two or three people to tell me, okay, what forms I need to fill out. And I thought I had to fill all of this stuff out in paper and sign. It's like, no, 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 you can do this. I kept getting different answers. And then, so I called one person who's, uh, pretty much a certified expert on all this. And they're like, no, 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 just go online fill out this portion of it. When you go in person, you'll fill out the rest. I'm like, oh, okay. Cause I, honestly, if you've never been around the, the the scene before, it's like, you don't even know where to start. Right. So it was like, okay, you fill out the ethics form. You start filling out your campaign finance stuff, which, and then even then you have like 15 days after you do that to do your financial disclosure, which I didn't even realize that I missed that part of it. I'm like, okay, I'm looking on this, 
campaign finance, I don't see this form done. He's like, no, 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 it's a whole separate thing. You got to go sign up for that too. I was like, oh, okay. Nobody told me that part. So it's just like so much stuff like that, that I didn't know. And it's like, there's not like easily accessible to say, okay, step-by-step guide of what you need to do. Like nobody tells you, like you have to go around even how to set up my whole act blue, how to like go ahead and open up your bank account like that. I knew because I own my own bank, but it's like, like these are all of the steps that somebody really needs to put together or put together some type of a show or podcast or book and really go detail by detail of what you need to, to at least to get lunch. Like I spent, uh, I qualified March 11th and I started canvassing this past Sunday. So it took me about almost a month from the time I qualified to the time to that time to get everything in place to be able to do it. Could have been faster, but I was waiting on my website to be finished. Yeah, but the thing I fault, I think is I really do think it's done intentionally. I'm not even going to lie about that. I think it's done intentionally (laughs) because it's meant for people that actually are involved, which means if you're involved a lot, then you're pretty much favored to run for a seat, which they'll probably give you all the support that you need. But if you are a regular person and you're trying to get involved and you're trying to run for office, no, man, it's, it's, it's hard as hell to get through all of this stuff. And like you said, to figure out exactly what you need to do just to even run. Right. And I remember when I, the day I went to go qualify, um, we're down at the Capitol and I see this one guy. We get there about the same time. And it was this guy's first time running. But you could tell, like, um, he, he was prepared. Like when he went to go qualify, people knew who he was. They knew who he who he was. Like he already had a team of consultants. He came down with a photographer. He came all the way down from like middle of South Georgia. But this guy knew everybody. And it was his first time running. I'm like, okay. I was like, I don't know who this guy is. I remember uh, I, I ran to a couple of people at the Capitol. I said, I don't know who this guy is. I said, whoever he is, he must gonna win. I said because. This dude, he, he took pictures for like three hours. <laughs> and I'm like, he he done brought his whole frat brothers up there. He done brought like, he had like three consultants. And then I'm asking around like basic questions. I'm like, okay, I never ran before. Uh, what I need to do? And everybody said, you need to go talk to this. Well, it was one of his consultants. You need to go talk to this guy. This mm-hmm. guy knows everybody. This guy ran all of these campaigns. And come to find out he's running his campaign. So it's pretty much like he can just sit back and be like, okay, I'm good. I got my team. I got 50 people already working for me. I'm good. I don't really need to do a whole lot. And like me, I'm just trying to get basic information. It's like, okay, I failed out every, I got all this, my, my uh, financial, just, I got my qualifying paperwork done. I'm like, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah. And that's the other hard part is trying to build a strong team. Mm-hmm. And people, they yeah, somebody do need to talk about I me. Mean, hell, I guess I'll, I'll do that. Talk about what it means to build a strong team and a, a loyal team on top right. of it, too. Because you'll get people want to come into your campaign, but they're in your campaign for their own their own purposes of trying to boost who they are. Mm-hmm. But they're not really there to help you out or they're there as a snake trying to help out other people to see what you're doing. Right, right. And uh, yeah, I've, I've um, ran into that situation, too. And I've ran into... Um, people already that were trying to impersonate me 
and saying that I was somebody else and trying to make fake accounts and things on me. And I'm like, if you want to know who I am, I, I had made a post. I'm like, I'm out here. I'm like, this is my only page. If it's coming from anybody else, it's not me. I said, if you want to know who I am, go online. Go online and, and type in my name. You're going to see the work out. I was like, I don't have any bad things out there. I'm like, right. you're going to see my work that I've been doing out in the community. You're going to see the work that my nonprofit is going to do. You're not going to find anything like salacious or anything like that. I'm like, I have one private um, social media page, which is my Instagram. And you go on it. It's just mostly me and my family. <laughs> that's that's about the that's as bad as it's going to get. Yeah, that's the one thing I've always said when I was especially I was joking with um, Lolita. I, I just looked at Hawthorne, I think her last name. I can't remember her last name, her last name but uh, she's a brand consultant. Mm-hmm. And she said she was going to do a thorough background check on me. She was like, so if you need a, uh, if you need me to know about anything, I, I said, lady, my entire life is online. I was like, have at it. <laughs> I'm like, I have been. I don't do nothing crazy. I don't post anything crazy. I'm like, you know, I am who I am. And I'm like, you know, through my platform, you can hear my voice to me, me talk about anything and everything in my life. So yeah, it's, and that's a good thing to have too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of like me. What, what the only difference is I've always stayed away from anything political on anything that I do. So even like with my LinkedIn page, like I don't even announce that um, I'm running on my LinkedIn page. I made a kind of a, a, a vague post that said, uh, after I qualified, that said, why not me? And so a lot of people didn't even really understand. They didn't even get it. They just saw the picture and it was like, oh, okay. And so very few people actually understood it. And I went on my um, my personal page and I put on there and people still didn't get it. One person figured it out. And then after that, I've had a, picture of me signing the paperwork and I explained what I was doing and then people start getting it and so but that honestly has been as until I got my um, my social media pages for my campaign now that has been as political as I get because it's one of those things where and I, I guess I was thinking about it from my aspect I don't care what other people have to say I don't care what's going on with everybody I don't care what your beliefs are I'd rather just not know and so that's just the way I've always lived. So I never put anything out there that, you know, say come back and bite you. It's just been my philosophy. So how does your family feel about you running? Uh, it's taken some getting used to um, because, because it's like I'm already running a nonprofit. It's already like I'm all, I'm so busy already between mm-hmm. the nonprofit and now running for this. And as you know, I'm also part of the um um, part of the Lions Club as well. And so there's just so many things that I'm doing. I was like, yeah, I was like, I guess I wasn't busy enough. Like, why not throw this in there too? So it's taking more of my wife getting adjusted because it's more like, why do you need to be gone all the time? It's Saturday. Why can't we just stay at home and watch a movie? Why can't we just go do things as a family? And I was like, well, we can carve out a time to make sure we do something together as a family, but I also have to run. I also have to be out there. So that, that's the hardest part. Are you part of the Lions Club, Lions Club, or the Caribbean Lions Club? 
the Lawrenceville Lions Club. Oh, I know it was the Lawrenceville Lions Club. Mm-hmm. Yep. I actually, uh, I was supposed to be there tonight, but I decided to take your interview instead. I'll uh, this might be a little bit more fun today. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm part of the, um, well, you know that, the Caribbean yeah, Lions yeah, Club. Yeah. Yeah, I see. I see that. I keep up with you all. Y'all do some good stuff out there. Yeah, we got another food drive coming up on May 6th. Okay. So if you want to come out and grab some stuff for your um for your meet for your your food drives as well, too. But anyway, so yeah, you gotta make some time out for your family. Yeah. I do, I do. tell I do tell all the candidates I'm like, I understand these races are important, but you know, one thing you won't ever get back is time. Exactly. And we we spend a lot of time and so uh, and a lot of times because of the nature of my wife's job, she can't she can't get involved right. in anything like that. So she, she that's why if you look at anything I, and I try to I'm trying to keep my kids out of it, too, because I don't want any craziness with all of that. So she isn't in any pictures. My kids are in pictures. It's like I'm almost running. So even though I'm married, I've been married almost 12 years, but we're keeping that on the back burner. So we're not crossing any lines and getting her in trouble with her, with her job and everything. So that that's the different part. She should get in from my personal experience. It was terrible on my wife. It was, it was terrible on my wife. Yeah, she she well, my wife too. She she doesn't like politics. That's not her thing. Like a lot of times, uh, even when we go to vote, she'll be like, "Okay, here are all the names. Tell me about these people." Yep. <laughs> That's how she does. She'll be like, "I don't know anything about these people. I don't care about this." She's more into the self help. Uh, let's learn how to uh, manage money. Let's learn about debt, <laughs> things like that's what she's that's what she's really into. And so when it comes to politics, she's like, I don't care um, about two or three days ahead of time. Let me know about everybody so I can make up my mind. Yeah, that's how we deal with it. I've gotten deep, deep involved. Yeah, I get those text messages. Mm-hmm. Here are the people that's on the ballot. Tell me who they are. And let mm-hmm. me know who I need to be voting for. And I was like, I tell you why I can't tell you who to vote for, but I tell you who they right. are. Yeah, that's what I say. I'm like, well, you can make up your own mind. And then some of the times she might be like, oh, okay, I met that person before. So yeah, I vote for them because I met them. And that's why she normally end up making up her mind. And then sometimes she'd be like, well, I met this person. I, I didn't like them at all. So they definitely not getting my vote. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of that out there. Mm-hmm. So as we wind down, how can people find out more about you? How can they get involved with your campaign? And more specifically, how can they donate? Yes. Yes to all of those. Uh, so um, people can go to my website. It's Ryan Cox for GA. So it's spelled out R-Y-A-N-C-O-X-F-O-R-G-A.com. So you can go there. Everything is on there. So if you want to donate, if you want to um, get yard signs if you want to help canvas if even if um, I have a whole bag here right here so if you want to get involved and write thank you cards to uh, people who are contributing so we have things for everybody so uh, I'm, my goal right now is I'm trying to knock on at minimum 100 doors a day so I just start cutting up my turfs I got about 58 turfs so mm. I would be more than happy to let anybody take one of these turfs and go campus. 
So go to my website. You can follow me on social media. I got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just look up Ryan Cox for Georgia on any of those platforms. Now, if you can, one thing I ask about people to come onto the show, if you can give a word of encouragement back to the community, because I know you have a word of encouragement since you help out the community. Yes. So my word of encouragement, it's, it's a little different. It's a little different. I, I know you normally do this. And this is what me running a nonprofit and one of my pet peeves. And so what my word of encouragement is stop telling black and brown kids or poor white kids in general, stop telling them that we should not be sending them to college because of that they should be going to trade school and technical schools. My thing is, even with my organization, my job isn't to tell them, hey, don't go to a four-year college. My job is to show them all the options, whether it be four-year, whether it be a job right out of high school, whether it be a technical college, whether it be uh, whatever, and let them make up their own minds. Because what we don't do, we don't go out to, let's say, Jones Creek, we don't go out to coming and say, you know what? Don't worry about going to a four-year school. You should focus on going to getting a job right out of high school or you should be a welder. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we only do it in certain communities. We only do it to certain kids. So my word of encouragement, don't do that. Encourage them to do what they want to do. That's what I want to see. That's my word my words of encouragement, encourage kids to, to follow their passion and to do what they want to do and make a lot of money doing it. All right, well, that's, a, that's a good one. So thank you again for coming on to the show, Ryan. Mm-hmm. I will be following the campaign and, and helping as, as I can because I, you know, I do support you. <laughs> and, you know, you can find me, this is Antonio Hicks again, Mr. Escaping the Matrix. You can find me on ptgtv.online. We do, like I said, I am um, a vice president of the Caribbean Lions Club, so we do have a uh, food drive coming up on May 6th. Ryan, since he's not speaking on it, does have a Dancing with Gwinnett event coming up in June. Yes, you can go to my uh, my nonprofit site. It's um, GwinnettChat.org. So we are um, we calling the Dancing Stars of Gwinnett. Kind of got like a who's who of that. And we got some pretty big names from Gwinnett County that will be dancing. And we're just trying to raise money to keep this program. Our program is 100% free for any kid within Gwinnett County. We don't charge for food, transportation. We get free um, clothing for um, to get t-shirts or um, hoodies for everything. And we're just trying to make sure that we can keep this program free. And we're trying to raise money to get a passenger van. So that's why we're doing this event. So yeah, so he is actively involved. He's not just a talker. He's actively involved within the community to make to the changes that we need to make change. And my my word of encouragement, one thing I like to leave with all of my people is, especially involving this and telling the youth about not going to a, a four-year college, go to a two-year college or get a, a certification, is to follow your dreams and follow your passions. Never let the fear of others hinder you from doing what you want to do. It's something I talked about in my radio show that was on today is not allowed, not swallowing that pill of fear. Because one thing, once you swallow pill, the pill of fear, 
it'll eat you up from the inside out and prevent you from moving towards the blessings and the things that God or universe has in store for you. So make sure you lead with your heart and your passions, regardless of what people's feelings are and what they think you can do and the limitations they put upon you. Because if you lead with that, you'll get to everywhere you want to go. So thank y'all for tuning in. Thank you again, Ryan. I love you guys.